0: And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, whether uh, you're joining us on the live stream or you're right here in the big room on our campus, I just want to say welcome to Sunridge. If you're new here and you don't recognize me from newspapers or television, uh, my name is Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor, and uh, we're so glad that, you're, that all of you are here. If you're new, we every uh, first Sunday, we have a welcome right after church, and if uh, that describes you, you're new or newer, we'd love to meet you and your family if you've brought one, and for you to meet some of us. So uh, just click that away in the back of your mind. And speaking of guests today, I see that uh, Danny and Marlis Ruckel have come to visit us today. Um, Would you guys stand up? These guys, longtime Sunridge people who lost their mind and moved to Texas. And uh, so we miss you guys. We're always glad to see you come back. Uh, Did you bring some barbecue with you or anything? I'm sorry, okay. And uh, thanks, Danny, for wearing the official uniform of Sunridge. So, yeah. So, I don't know about you guys, uh, but doesn't it seem like people today are just angry all the time? Um, You know, customers are in stores and places of business demanding impossible things. You got unruly Airline passengers, there's road rage now increasing, even with moms in tow. I've seen this. Um, and, uh, and of course, you're probably aware that mass shootings in uh, the United States are on uh, pace to set a record this year. You know, some social commentators blame it on COVID, uh, you know, all the isolation that people faced uh, left. Us all with a broad range of um, difficult emotions, including anxiety and worry, fear, despair, and guilt. But one emotion stands out it's anger. You know, anger is a normal reaction to stress, and oftentimes it's beneficial. It tells us when something is wrong, it can trigger us uh, to respond to a threat of injury, and it can prompt us to act against injustice. But as you probably know, it can also turn destructive and that can negatively impact um, our personal relationships and our professional life. And there are a lot of health uh, problems that have been associated with anger. Headaches and insomnia, depression, high blood pressure, heart attack, and stroke. But did you know that Moses probably had an anger problem too? Now, to be fair, he had good reason, right? We're going to talk about that today. And if, if you're just joining us, we're in a study of the life of Moses, an ordinary but great man. And here's what we're going to do today. Uh, number one, we're going to look at a segment of Moses' life in Numbers 20. And then we're going to see how anger gets the best of him. And then we're going to talk about some of the consequences that occur in his life and the nation of Israel because of that anger and then we're going to bring it all forward as we do to 2023 living here in the Temecula Valley and hopefully what we learn today will not just be Bible knowledge but it'll make us better Jesus followers tomorrow morning Monday when we go off to work or whatever it is that we have planned to do does that sound like a plan okay thanks Patricia you're always with me Okay, so let's get our bearings first, okay? We've made our way all the way through Exodus. I don't know if you noticed, but we're not in Exodus anymore, and now we're in Numbers, and Numbers is going much faster uh, because, remember, we're not studying the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. We're studying the life of Moses, and so Moses has a lot of laws uh, that are contained in it, and values and ways to do things but we're studying the life of Moses and there are like a handful of significant events in his life in numbers and that's what we're focusing on um, and so the fact that that in this book where there's only a, in, only a few instances where uh, are events it, it elevates them in importance to us so that's why we're kind of stopping along the way because for the author to highlight these means that they're, they're very important. And where we are is God has enabled Israel, the Israelites, to escape from Egypt. And remember, they stopped for about a year at the base of Mount Sinai to be instructed, develop a culture that follows God and the societal norms that come with that. And then last week, we saw that God took them to the southern border of the promised land, the land of their ancestors, and uh, it was theirs for the taking. But their faith in God faltered. And, he, and they refused to follow his instructions. And so rather than abandoning the people uh, entirely and just leaving them to their own destruction, God has Moses lead them back out into the desert for 38 years. And during that period... Everyone over the age of 20 is going to die of natural causes, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. So that during that time, the younger generation can watch the faithlessness of their adults, the people that are older than them. And and then they can also experience God's miraculous provision, and it's going to make a difference in them. So that's where we are In Numbers 20. Now, I have to tell you, the chapter is kind of gloomy. Uh, It begins with the death of Miriam, Moses' sister, and it ends with the death of Aaron, Moses' brother. But in the middle, between those two things, is yet another frustrating moment for Moses, the leader of these people. And at the beginning of chapter 1, or chapter 20, verse 1, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. Um, Now, so you know, we are at the end of the 38 period that Numbers covers. Um, So it's really sped up here from where we were last week. And I think that Moses might be a little hopeful here. Because he knows the timeline that God has given him. And so now where they are, they are right back. Where they, where they were when I talked last week. They're back in the, in the same area when they were considering entering the land. But they had failed, remember the 12 spies? 10 were bad and two were good. <laughs> and we have fast forwarded from that event. So in six chapters, 38 years have passed. They've just been wandering. In fact, in, in, in our Bible, we call this book Numbers. But in the Hebrew Bible, it's called In the Wilderness. Because that's what it's about. And Miriam dies, and they bury her there, and then once again... There's a crisis, a water crisis. Verse 2, there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. And they quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? This, and, you know, this isn't a small disturbance that happens here. That word quarrel is often used... Uh, for a physical altercation. But here it's used more figuratively. But It's describing this really intense back and forth between Moses and the people. And they're blaming Moses and Aaron once again. And so the BTE club shows up, the back to Egypt club. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, figs, grapevines, or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. I don't know about you, but it makes me wonder why they needed water so badly. Um, I'm wondering why they didn't just drink the wine, because they were in the desert of Zin. (laughs) Just seeing if you're listening. So Moses and Aaron go before God. Uh, to get his guidance, guidance, and God tells him what to do. And, and when we read this, I want you to re- uh, pay really close attention. you got to pay attention to the small print here because the details are very important. Verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink." So, Does that story sound somewhat familiar to you? It it should because way back in Exodus 17, um, we had almost the same instructions, word for word. Uh, But there, remember, God told Moses when they needed water to strike the rock. Here, however, he says, speak to the rock. That's the small print. So what does Moses do? Verse 9, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. And that gives you a, like, kind of like an in, a sense that Moses is going to do exactly what he was told. Well, not exactly. So now here it comes. Verse 10, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? I can't can you just kind of hear something in his voice there? Listen, you rebels. And uh, then in verse 11, Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community of their livestock drank. So they get the water they need. So great, great job, right? Mission accomplished. No. See, Moses here lashes out at the people, and he physically strikes the rock twice. How do you picture him doing that? Like dunk dunk. <laughs> the phrase here, Moses raised his arm, is like it's defiance and it's anger. He's, he's come unhinged. And then some of the saddest words I think Moses must have ever heard. From God in particular, the Lord said to Moses, verse 12 and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Whoa. What's going on here? Well, in case you missed it, because of this event, because of Moses' action here, God is saying, you're not going into the land. In fact, over in Numbers 27, he says the closest he'll come, and we'll look at this eventually, is to view it from a mountaintop. So think about this. If you're Moses, you have 40 years of the finest education of that day, 40 years of spiritual development at at the University of Midian, we talked about that, on the backside of the desert, followed by 40 years of testing out in the desert, putting up with, of very complaining people, and in a situation that's really, really hard, and it's all lost in one rash act. So that's the story. We're going to put a caboose on it for now, and uh, I want us to talk for the remainder of our time about how this can help you and me today. So one question is, what's, what's the point of the message? Is it don't mess up? Or is it, if you're going to have a besetting sin, don't let it be anger issues? Um, what's the overriding feeling you have right now as you, as you think about this story? Doesn't it cause you to go, wow, that's like, that feels extreme. It feels harsh. So let's step back a little bit and take a big picture and assess, and then we'll dig in deeper. Moses allowed his temper to get the best of him. He allowed his temper to get the best of him. He's fried. And who can blame him? Now, let's let's just stipulate that not all anger is bad, right? Ephesians 4, 26. Paul wrote, in your anger, do not sin. So you can be angry, but not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. So don't let it linger. Because if you do, you will give the devil a foothold. So there's a way of being angry, yet being righteous. Remember, Jesus turned the the tables over in the temple. But the Bible is full of warnings of the dangers and the consequences of unrestrained and unnecessary anger. Do you guys remember... um, and Princess Bride, when Billy Crystal says, uh, he's only mostly dead. You remember that? Well, when it comes to anger, it's usually mostly sin, right? It's the mark of a fool, Proverbs says, 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And restraint is almost always the right way. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine: 29, whoever's patient, Has great understanding, but the one who is quick tempered displays folly. You know, it it would be easy to think that uh, I'm only talking about these times of temper tantrums, you know, these explosions. um, But there are different ways that anger can overcome us. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says that a believer is to be done with those behaviors that we most associate. With sins like immorality and lust and greed. But then he turns his focus in chapter 3 of Colossians. And, he, and he, he, he starts talking about the internal attitudes that need change as well. And he exposes how anger in its different forms can take us over. And he uses two words to do that. In Colossians 3, eight: rid yourselves of all such things as these. He says, anger, rage, and then goes on malice and slander rage here the greek word is thumos and it is an outburst an explosion it can it's like it can mean like breathing hard like when you're just like you're ready to just like go crazy about something but then he uses another word first anger which is orgē in greek and that's a disposition It's kind of an internal seething, an underlying, always present anger. The ancients called this agitation of soul. And I think what this reveals is that outbursts, explosions, our come-aparts, they're not, mostly, they're not just like isolated incidents, but they're Often the result of an underlying seething anger that takes control of our spirits. Someone has an outburst and we're like, that came out of nowhere. But not really. There's like this underlying thing. It's always there. So beware, Christian, of the agitation of soul. I love that phrase. And it seems like this is what Moses struggled with. The Bible reveals to us that anger seemed to be a chronic issue for Moses, and his temper gets the best of him a lot. Remember when he murdered an Egyptian? That's what sent him out to the desert, out in Midian. When he was negotiating with Pharaoh, he often got frustrated. In Exodus 11:8 eight says he left Pharaoh's presence hot with anger. Have you ever left a conversation hot with anger? Moses had this ongoing frustration with the people. And you can, I mean, you can hear it in his words. They're complaining again. Why did you bring us out here? It's so hard. It's all your fault. We're thirsty. And Moses says, listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? Then wham, wham. If you're looking for a source or a cause of of Moses' anger. It's right there. It's apparent. He's super frustrated. It's an ongoing frustration with the things that he cannot control or the people that, he, that won't follow. And um, that's often the root cause of our anger. We cannot control things or people. But the Bible exposes another cause uh, for that, uh, just always under the surface, ready to rear-its-ugly-head kind of anger. Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four 24 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, there's wisdom here. You've heard the turn of phrase, if you lie down with dogs, you will get fleas, right? Anger is the same way. Anger is contagious, and chronic exposure to anger, to someone who's always angry, um, upset about everything, it has an effect on you. Have you noticed that? You know how chronic exposure to health hazards can ev- eventually affect your physical health. For instance, um, like radiation, you know, one time, huge, acute exposure to radiation, you're dead. But you'll be just as dead if you have a low-dose exposure over a period of time. It, it, will, it will do the same thing. It just takes longer. And anger can be like that. There was a recent study uh, conducted at Loyola University that demonstrated the effect of chronic exposure to aggressive behavior on rats. So passive Here's what they, they exposed the rats to this passive, aggressive behavior of other rats. So they put them in proximity to rats who were exhibiting this um, aggressive behavior all the time. And what they found is that created changes in the amygdala, the part of our brain. And it created a, like a more open receptivity to aggressiveness. So the rats that were... Um, that observed other rats acting aggressively produced a, a heightened aggressiveness in the rats that were being exposed to it. In other words, j- just by watching their rodent colleagues bash one another developed a greater potential in them to experience aggression themselves. You say, like, "What are you talking about, Brit? Mad rats, crazy rats?" So I'm, I'm going to lean on you a little bit, okay? You guys ready? Ready for me to lean? You're open? Okay. Unless you've been under a rock somewhere, um, we now know that social media and news outlets, uh, they're employing anger algorithms to keep us interested and engaged in the things that they want to promote. And they customize that programming to each one of us individually. They know, what, they know what triggers us. And that anger will keep us glued to a program week in and week out or every night, or it'll keep us clicking online. And often they use misinformation or a twisted part of them. They twist it, and the way they present it, it just keeps us all fired up all the time. And a new word has emerged from this ecosystem. It's angertainment. Have you heard that word? Angertainment. And in the end, a lot of this has little to do with the reality of, or truth, but it's all about profits and uh, engagement. So the next time you find yourself seething, um, remember what Proverbs says about being exposed to anger all the time. You may learn their ways and get ensnared yourself. See, Moses was an amazing man, the man of the moment, and God used him in so many remarkable ways. But isn't it possible that this underlying frustration eventually undermined him and his potential? So beware of chronic exposure to anger. James, uh, consider what what we intake, what we take in, and from whom. James 1.20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Even though um, one takeaway here is that Moses let his temper get the best of him, you know, that's not the main issue here. It's much bigger than that. And it may explain why we feel like this This thing that happens and God's response to it seems overly harsh I mean Moses has a pretty good track record but now he's not entering the 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 promised land and all he did was hit a rock and he was provoked and this would have tested anybody's patience the answer here is twofold and it's right in verse 12 God's own words on the matter and the saddest words Moses ever heard uh The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So here, God is boiling it down for them. He's saying, you didn't trust me. You didn't honor me. See, Moses just, he didn't have just an anger problem. It was not an isolated issue. Moses failed to obey God fully. Consider what God told him. In verse 7, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water, and you will bring water out of the rock for the community. Then look at what Moses did. excuse me, he took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff and the water gushed out. So let's break it down and put this up on the screen. God said, get the staff, you and Aaron, gather the people together in the people's presence and speak to the rock. And then the water will come out, right? What did he actually do? Get the staff. Yes. Moses and Aaron. Yes. Gather the people together. Yes. In the people's presence. Yes. Speak to the rock. No. Who did he speak to? The people. Listen, you rebels. And he hit the rock twice. In full disobedience and frustration. So is this just a minor technicality? No, for a couple couple of reasons. First of all, God equates obedience with trust. God equates obedience with trust. Jesus said in, in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. In other words, God says that our obedience is a demonstration of our love and trust of him. God says, don't say, I love you, I trust you, and then do the exact opposite of what I say to do. Why is it that we can say to God, I love you, God, I trust you, and then when we hit hit a difficult spot, a rough spot that may cost us or one that we don't understand, and then we're choosing our own way. I'm an honest person. Unless I need to fudge the truth to stay out of trouble. I respect my parents. Unless I really want to do something and they say I can't, so I'll sneak out. The Bible is God's word, God's holy word. Except in the area of my marriage today or my finances or the way I do business. Obedience is trust to God. Also, partial obedience is disobedience to God. Partial obedience is just like disobedience to God. We can't say, I want this one, but not that one. You know, in baseball, 30% uh, 30 batting 300, that might be a really good batting average. And um, in football, take quarterbacks for instance, last season, Joe Burrow, led to NFL with a 68% completion rate. Pretty awesome. So, would it be okay if we just paid 68% of our bills? Or how about a 68% fidelity rate in your marriage? Or how about you don't cheat on 68% of your exams in school? Or how about... You're in court, and 68% of your testimony is truthful. We can take the same kind of approach in our obedience to God, can't we? I'll do some of that stuff, but my plan for the rest is to ask forgiveness. I'll make it up in confession. God wants our full obedience because it reflects our trust in him. Moses was only partially obedient, so he was disobedient to what God told him. But also, Moses failed to lead here. He failed to lead. You know, you can see the erosion of obedience to God in the nation of Israel as we've gone through the story. At first, it's the people. Then eventually, as we've seen, the Levites disobeyed God. And now, it's Moses and Aaron. And their disobedience has a higher price tag. In verse 12, it says, They did not trust uh, in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. This is speaking to his leadership role. Moses failed to honor God in public view. In the sight of the Israelites. As the leader, Moses held to a higher standard. His disobedience, then, is more serious. And worse, he seems to grab the glory for himself and Aaron. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of the rock for you? Who's the we? To God, hypocrisy or failure at the leadership level is a bigger deal. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly So the discipline seems extreme here for a reason. This part of the story disturbs us, and it's meant to disturb us, not not so that we think of God as harsh or as a bully, but to snap us to our senses, especially those of us who lead, because character matters, and it matters more in a leader, because human beings are designed, we we flourish not when they follow perfect leaders, but when they follow follow leaders of integrity. We're designed to follow people by by their example. And that is true of a president, it is true of a pastor, it is true, true of a supervisor and of a coach, because integrity earns trust so that when that relationship is challenged, which it will be if we're in a, a subordinate uh, you know, leader a relationship, what allows us to trust that leader is their integrity. Even if they have a different view, even if their solution is different, even if they're, you know, like they're punishing you or like disciplining you, it's like you have to be able to trust in that leader because of their integrity. And not just in the big ways that I, that I just mentioned that we're prone to think of. If you're a mom or a dad, I'm talking to you right now. You can't just tell your kids to do one thing and you do another. You can't tell them to go to church and you not go to church. You can't tell them to obey God and then watch you day in and day out disobey God. You can't, tell, you can't make them memorize verses about anger and then see mom and dad screaming at each other. They're... We're just designed to follow people by their example. You know, Moses here, he could have crushed it. But instead, it crushes him because he explodes in anger, he fails to obey, and he fails to lead in a public way. And last, I'm going to have the band come up while I talk about this. Moses failed to trust God. We know that Moses did not trust God because of how God measures trust. And it's a moment of crisis for him. Right when the trust afterburners should be kicking in, they shut down on him. Remember we said that uh, a couple of weeks ago, we said when our confidence in our situation is at our lowest, our trust in God needs to be at its highest. And with Moses, here's what's really sad. It's so unexplainable. Think of all the situations, the battles, the crises that Moses has been in. And God has showed up every time. He he has come through in every instance for him. But here he just loses it. It's like a hitter slump. It's like fumbling the ball with seconds left in the game that you're ahead of, just like the Miami Hurricanes did yesterday with Georgia Tech. Sorry. Now I'm preaching the truth, right? I still love my Canes. It's a commentary on the human condition. And I don't know about you, but I can totally relate. Like Moses, usually unexplainably, it can be hard for me to trust God. And I wonder, like, I'm in this moment, like, is God going to come through for me this time? And I just, you know, it can be really hard, can't it? See, the narrative, this is what I love about the Old Testament stories, like this narrative of Moses' life and then the Israelites, you know, their interaction, it's very much like our life. It's just different. But it's the same issues. And the story of Moses and his relationship with the Israelites is a story of human failure in a context of God's faithfulness. That's what we see over and over and over again, don't we? Isn't it a good thing that our relationship with God is based on his faithfulness and not ours? He's trustworthy even when we're not. And so if I could just leave a big thought in your heart and your mind today, this morning, is that God is trustworthy even when we we can't see the end game. And we need to rest in our confidence in him and allow him to lead us, to remain obedient, to stay true to his word, to to take that step and to honor him in the way that he wants to be honored. Let's stand and worship together.